Welcome back to Recalibrationcy. I'm your host, Danielle Photo. Pleased to have with me Noel Andrews from JobRack. He is the CEO. And today we're going to be talking about some considerations to make when hiring for roles at your agency and making sure you have the right talent and that you've right-sized the headcount at your firm. Welcome, Noel. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Hey, Danielle. Thanks so much. Yeah, so I spent kind of 15 years in kind of the corporate technology world, uh, doing a lot of work with agencies as, you know, kind of hiring agencies to support our work uh, with those businesses. Um, I had been looking for something to kind of scratch my own entrepreneurial itch for for quite a long time and uh, found myself kind of leveraging my kind of hiring skills um, into JobRack, uh, which kind of came available. So JobRack is a uh, business where we help businesses, including a huge amount of agencies, hire really great remote team members uh, out of Eastern Europe. And so over the last few years, especially, so JobRack has been running for eight years now. And the last few years, I've been kind of immersing myself more and more into the agency world. And um, I enjoy it a lot. So all kind of different kinds of pe- weird and kind of wonderful kind of niches that we work in. I uh, was really, really great people across the world. And uh, yeah, I find myself enjoying it and managed to turn it into a business that I could do business my way, helping people in a very kind of helpful and friendly way and um, helping them kind of grow their agencies along the way. So not that typical recruiter style that no one likes. Exactly. I I kind of, uh, I often liken it with some other kind of common traits that people don't like, you know, kind of traffic wardens generally are people's favorite people. Recruiters are often in that bucket and I mm-hmm. really strive hard to not be in that bucket. Uh, we are naturally doing recruitment. We're helping people hire, but in a very, very different way. And yeah, kind of, you know, not doing the crazy high commissions, not doing the kind of crazy poor service that so many of us kind of have experienced at the hands of yeah recruiters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you've been diving more into the world of agencies over the last couple of years. As you've dove into that world a little bit more, what is a commonly held view in the industry that you strongly disagree with? So I think there's there's two for me. And one, the particular one with agencies is the, so often it's like, you know, agencies cannot hire until they're like 110% utilization, 120% even. And, and I get that completely because so many of the agency owners that I speak to, they've got, you know, pretty, pretty tight margins and they want to be really certain that they've got the work, especially when there's, you know, some kind of uncertain economic times going on. They want to be really certain before they hire. The problem with that is if you're at 110% or 120% of, you know, utilization, um, what happens is that you're already impacting your clients and your customers, right? You're already kind of cutting some corners potentially, or the team are overworked or they're stressed, things like that. And for me, as an, you know, working effectively as an agency myself, it is so, so key to look after your clients and be delivering that like really awesome service. So for me, I'm a big, big fan of finding ways to hire and think about hiring much, much earlier. And there's a few ways that we do that. But crucially, it's also bearing in mind that it takes a quite a long time to hire. And if you hire fast, that never generally works out very well. So you kind of, that's the kind of commonly held view is that, yeah, people kind of wait until they're 110% until they're desperate to hire before they start hiring. Mm-hmm. What are some of the indicators that you should start considering hiring a position, even if you're not quite there yet, since if you are going to hire slow the right way, it is going to take longer. What are some of those primary indicators? 
So the biggest one's going to be utilization, right? And if you've got an ability to forecast what that is like, then even better. But the first bit is just what is your utilization right now? Um, and if you've got a way of kind of measuring almost like the pulse of your of your team right now, how are they feeling? You know, how much spare time have they got or capacity for internal projects, things like that. There's some of the kind of the data-driven indicators you can use to kind of have an idea of, you know, what's our kind of capacity like right now. In an ideal world, if you've got some ability to forecast and that forecast, that can be tricky. Um, but if you can, whether it's kind of on best case, worst case, likely case kind of scenario, that kind of can give you an idea. And then what you can do is you can plug into that. Well, how long is it likely to take me to not only hire, but onboard my new team member and then for them to actually get to a point of being kind of productive and you know at full speed and so just and it can be quite a quick you know back of a napkin quite type calculation i help lots of agency owners do exactly this that then means that they go okay right i know when i need to start hiring or have a have an idea of it mm -hmm. what do you think about agencies putting clients on wait lists while they finish getting their hiring runway established good idea bad idea neutral depending on the situation what are your thoughts so I think it's a great idea. I think it's extremely difficult for most agency owners to do. So if you, I know one agency owner that I'm very, very good friends with, and he has a very significant wait list. And he also has a, you know, his pipeline is full, right? He could have work stacked out for kind of two or three years if he wanted to. And that gives a sense of confidence, right? If you know you've got like, you know, a marketing machine that's giving you consistent leads, if you know that you're converting and getting these opportunities in, you can have confidence in putting that weight list in. Not all agency owners are in that kind of fortunate situation, right? So some of them are, you know, they want to grab every opportunity that comes in. Completely reasonable. The danger is that when you do that, the, the risk is that you then don't do a good job of it or you kind of start doing a worse job for your existing clients, um, or maybe you manage to keep all the plates spinning for the new clients and the existing clients, but your team are massively overworked, they're getting stressed, maybe mental health issues, things like that. And that is difficult to recover from. Uh, it's not impossible, but it, it ends up taking you more time and energy. And so it's a very tricky balance. So wait lists, I'm a huge fan of. I have an idea at some point in the future that we may kind of move to that if we needed to but for us actually we're you know there's some things that we can leverage that allows us to hire very very early so that we never get anywhere close to capacity but one day we'll hit the capacity of candidates or how many amazing a players we can find each month and that's when i would definitely bring in a wait list mm -hmm. absolutely and i think that right now after going through the high demand seasons that were 2021 and 2022 for digital services um, a lot of agencies are feeling the pain of some of that where they did take on projects and clients and they hired a lot more in order to take on those projects and those clients, but now they're maybe losing accounts or their pipelines drying up or work that they had scheduled to start is canceling. What would you say to the agency owner that is struggling with the situation where they have to be right sizing their agency right now instead of upsizing it? So the biggest, and this is such a hard situation, and again, we help a lot of people in, in that exact situation right now. We're talking to lots of people about it and kind of giving them kind of ideas. 
one of the opportunities is, you know, if you do need to right size your agency and you've got to let team members go, it's one of the hardest things that as a business owner or an agency owner will ever do. Now, I'm a big fan of looking and saying, well, how can we not lose? You know, is there any opportunity to reduce the number of people we lose? Or, and particularly to kind of reduce the impact on the agency and on the clients. Because the worst thing, you know, so it's really horrible having to let people go, right? That's no, no business owner that I've ever met as enjoys that, or, you know, it's very, very difficult. But actually the worst thing about it is that it creates fear with the rest of the team. And so you might, let's say you need to right size and you're letting two, three, four people go. That then has like this little cascade effect across the rest of the team. Some of yeah, which they'll everyone. talk to you about. Yeah, they start updating their resumes pretty quick. Exactly. They're like, is it me next? And so it is so important at a time when you generally do not feel like doing this. And I have a lot of experience of this from my kind of corporate career. You, it's the last time in the world that you feel about being motivational and positive with kind of the rest of the team. But it's so important. And this is where as an agency owner and as a business owner, being vulnerable with your team being open, you know, leading with that vulnerability and kind of a being kind to the people that are going, being honest and open with the rest of the team and saying, hey, look, we're making these tough decisions to safeguard the business and safeguard your jobs. I think it's also important to, if you can, to try and only do it once. So if you kind of do a little cut, as it were, let a few people go and then do another one and then another one that really gets people panicking. Right. And they get the rest of the team. Like you said, everyone's updating their LinkedIn and the CVs. It's much better to actually cut deeper, but do it once because then mm -hmm. you kind of build faith and confidence with the team. Um, and then the other thing for me is looking and saying, well, how can we, you know, reduce that, like I said, reduce the impact. So things like, you know, maybe combining roles into one. So maybe you need two half people and one person might be able to do that with complementary skills. So there's, there's things like that that you can do just to try and above all reduce the impact of the clients that we that we have got. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I want to really harp on that point you made to cut deeper than you think mm -hmm. you should, because it's so true um, with any, you know, um, let's just say you have an infection, you need to cut past where the infection currently is. And that same principle applies, um, in this scenario and the, the fear factor that people have is really important to mitigate too. So getting ahead of that with communications to your internal team members is really important. Don't just drop the news on them randomly one day, like actually be, make an intentional effort about it. Um, when you're going about that. Now, let's flip it back to managing new hires. Um, it can be really difficult to get new people on a team up to speed quickly with the right processes and procedures, especially in a fast changing industry. Do you have any advice for how to prevent new hire failure in agencies? Yeah, I think the most important phase is onboarding. And what we see a lot of the time when we talk about this really openly is that, you know, hiring's hard, right? And agency owners and, and business owners in general, they get to the end of the hiring process and there's like this sigh of relief. And it's like, oh, thank goodness. The, the hard work is done. Right? I can relax now. Sadly, that's not the case. Actually, the hard work's now really starting because the onboarding is just so, so crucial. And we put a lot of effort in guiding our clients in how to do it well. And the biggest thing we say is invest the time in it really really give it time and especially when hiring remotely as, as so many more people are doing these days when you're hiring remotely you have to be extra intentional about it 
because the kind of the little moments that would happen naturally if you were in an office together don't happen unless you put the, the effort in. And what I mean by that is, you know, when someone walks into an office first thing in the morning, you're just having a bit of a chat over a cup of coffee, the lunchtime chat, the little walking past the desk and stopping in for a quick question. That doesn't happen naturally or organically in remote work or hybrid work. And so you have to actually plan those things in. So there's extra things that you want to plan in. The onboarding is like super, super important. I think another thing you can do to help, you know, really maximize your chance of success with that new hire is back in the hiring phase. And it starts at the very, very start because a lot of people jump into hiring and they're looking for a certain set of skills or a certain set of experience. And what's really, really important is to actually think through, well, who's the person that I want and need? Like, what's the attitude? What are the traits? What are the things that they need to bring to the table to, you know, to be successful? Um, and for to really help us kind of move forward. So having that idea up front, then as you're going through the process, you know, interviewing in line with if you've got them, your kind of agency or your company values, you know, and actually kind of getting them to kind of really kind of uh, to articulate how do they actually live and breathe these things are important to you. So as an example, like one of the ones that I've used in the past has been it's the value was attention to detail. So in an interview, I'm going to be like, hey, tell me about a time when your attention to detail has saved the day. And I'm I'm really, really specific about these kinds of scenarios. And I want to see I really want to see what do they really have that? And, you know, we'll kind of go pretty deep on that. Again, we'll use tests in a similar way. It's so, so important now. You know, some people are great at interviews. Some people are terrible at interviews. And it takes a you know, skilled interviewer to, to bring those people out. The test side of things and actually just testing people with tests that they can't fake with AI or chat GPT, things like that. So you can actually see what they're doing to give you a feel of how they're actually going to perform. And then finally, and, and you mentioned this, you know, fast changing environments, things like that, interview for that. So we have some very large customers that have lots and lots of process, very established, maybe slightly slower changing. And then most of our customers are in, you know, kind of startup, scale up, you know, they might be established in, in kind of terms of longevity and how long they've been around, but they have a kind of startup mentality. We're moving quick. Not everything is perfectly documented. And so when you interview, kind of chat about that with your candidate, how do they feel about that? When have they worked in those kind of, uh, kind of scenarios? What do they like about it? And how do they make it better uh, along the way? You know, how do they, how do they handle organized chaos, which lots of agencies can feel like sometimes. Absolutely. That's the perfect way to describe it. I'm curious to hear your perspective on how many interviews you should do during the hiring process. So as few as possible to, to kind of do a proper job of the hiring process. So we would generally advise, and some of this depends on if you're doing it all yourself or internally versus working with a kind of a recruitment service like us. We would generally, if we think about our end-to-end -end process, we will have a screening stage, which is a kind of initial check. It's checking skills, experience, how someone comes across. I would always advocate a screening interview. Uh, a lot of the time you can use a video, uh, you know, get someone to submit a, a recorded video uh, with specific questions that can kind of take the place of that a little bit and help you with, with your time. We would normally then expect like a test stage. Um, then you're going to do your main interview. And then maybe you do a follow-up one. It is rare that you should need more than three, okay? And ideally, it should be a very short screening call and then a main interview. And then I always like when we get to the offer stage, I like to do that on a call. And before I make the offer, I'm going to be like, hey, 
how are you feeling about things since the interview? Have you got any questions? Have you got any thoughts? Just to see what they kind of come across with, and then we kind of tailor that. So generally, like two to three, you know, the Googles, the Facebook of the world, you know, I think one article I read recently says, you know, one of them was up to nine interviews. They've also just shared 11,000 staff between, you know, one of them. So maybe that's not entirely the right approach. I think where you can try and be efficient with it for, you know, your own sake, um, but also for the candidates as well. For candidates and for your existing team members too. Um, and that's another thing. Some agencies like to pull in team members into these candidate interviews. What's your perspective on that approach? I think you want to try and avoid having, you know, five interviews and one candidate. It's a little bit, it's a little bit intense. Um, but I'm very much in favor of having at least one other person with you because it allows one of you to be maybe focusing on kind of asking the questions and the other person can just be watching and observing. It is very easy to bring in some positive bias into an interview because we want people to like us. We want to praise people, things like that. And so having kind of two people in an interview is really, really positive. It also gives them a chance to kind of hear from someone else, um, especially if it's someone that, you know, is maybe on your leadership team or even is in the actual team themselves. Uh, you've ultimately got to make the decision. But I think, yeah, having someone else in there can be really helpful. Again, you know, at a time when we're all super, super busy, being efficient with it is super, super key and trying not to do it by, by committee. Mm-hmm. Do you think that people tend to hire people that are like themselves? Oftentimes, yes. And it's the age old question. I remember being in a scenario for years ago now and we were chatting and at the end of it, we had two or three candidates and they were neck and neck. There was almost nothing to choose from between them. And then one of the questions goes was, who would you want to go for a beer with? Who would you want to go for coffee with? And that encourages that kind of bias. And it's not actually a good thing, in my opinion. You have to know the kind of traits and characteristics that are needed and complementary. So if you have a, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. If you have a very relaxed and friendly environment and you get someone who's very stiff and formal, right? That's going to maybe be a, bit, a little bit trickier kind of thing. And I think that's about you putting across what your culture is like and then seeing how they're going to fit in. Um, I think it's also really, really good to try and have an awareness of your current team and go, where are they really, really strong? And actually, where are the areas that actually, if we could kind of fill in some of those gaps, that that might help us. So things like disk profiling, uh, Belvin profiling, insights can be really, really great for this. And insights is, is a really nice one. It works on the principle of like colored bricks, basically. So, you know, an extrovert, typically a leader is going to be red like a very analytical kind of data-driven kind of person, maybe a, an accountant as an example is more likely to be blue. Someone that's kind of very focused on kind of the people side of things, very empathetic or kind of yellow with kind of bits of green. So these are the kind of, you can do them in like kind of quizzes and assessments online and having an awareness of where, especially if you're an agency owner and you've got a leadership team in place going, where are we really strong? And where are we maybe lacking? And so if you're if you've got some really fired up, energetic, get out there leadership extrovert types, great, hang on to those. But actually, you might want someone that's a bit more data driven, a little bit more analytical. So being aware of it can help. Ultimately, you know, depending on the size of your team, sometimes you've just got to kind of find the best person and just make sure that they're not going to be a bull in a china shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Um, because I've experienced very similar situations where 
you've got candidates that are neck and neck and it was actually a decision by committee as well, which was another issue. But um, the final determination was, well, who would we want to hang out with at Inbound, which is this huge marketing conference. Mm -hmm. And um, we chose the wrong candidate. We really did. And it did not work out. They had to be let go. And it made the whole process a lot harder for the team because it took longer and it was super painful. And so I would encourage listeners to really heed that advice. Don't just hire for someone that you think you would want to go have a beer with. Um, It's not always the best call. Sometimes it is, but it is not always the best call. So take some judgment with you to the beer hall. Yeah, exactly that. It's it's finding the right balance, right? We've got to be able Mm -hmm. to get on with people. And I am a big fan of hiring team members, right? And especially in this, you know, world of kind of hybrid and remote, it's very, very common that people come into remote hiring and go, I'm just hiring someone to do tasks or to do projects for me. And that's great. There are scenarios where that's absolutely brilliant. But for me, the way to really grow an agency really successfully is by hiring team members, people that are kind of go to war with you right alongside you people that you're going to get their shower thoughts and like really really help you grow they're they're not just doing tasks they're not just doing projects and at that point you know how they fit in how they you know how they contribute how they show up their energy is is so so important it is super important is there anything else major that you would want to add into this about hiring considerations to make when you're going through that process for our listeners today I think the big things is spend the time upfront. So before you start hiring, be really, really thinking about what is it you need and don't start with a job title, right? Because that constrains you too much. Just go, what are the jobs to be done? And there's some great YouTube videos on on this concept. Um, What are the jobs to be done? And then kind of see which ones are complementary and which ones you can kind of squish together and you make a role out of it. Because there's lots of people out there with a really, really broad range of skills that can really, really help you in that sense. Um, Secondly, then it's just going to be about looking and saying, where are the people with the right attitude, the right traits and the right skills? Where can you find them at, you know, prices that you can afford? Right. There's lots and lots of difficulties, even with, uh, you know, lots of layoffs happening in the US, uh, as an example, there's still an extremely, extremely difficult talent and hiring market. So, you know, think about where can you go, whether that's locally, whether that's across the US, whether that's Latin America, uh, Eastern Europe, which is my focus or anywhere in the world. Just think about where is the talent and what opportunities are out there for you to maybe get what you need at rates that you can afford. All great advice, Noel. I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing. I want to highlight a few key takeaways from today's conversation. So first and foremost, make sure that you're looking at your employee utilization. Noel mentioned that you don't necessarily want to be pushing your team to 110 or 120% utilization and capacity before hiring someone. You want to be planning, planning ahead and looking at what your forecast is sooner because a good hiring process takes time. And that's the second takeaway is put in the time required to hire the right candidate. Make sure that you're focusing on their attitudes and their core values and what they're going to contribute as a team member in your organization and your agency, as opposed to just a task doer and employee. So look for those identifying attributes. 
And then finally, look at alternative options to hiring full-time roles. If you need to combine positions, you can also do that. You can look at part-time positions as well. So get creative in how you approach filling some of those gaps, especially as cash flow gets a little bit tighter this year and probably next year too. Look at those creative solutions and think about the team that you currently have as well. That's all for today on Recalibre Agency. I'm your host, Danielle Photo. Cheers until next time.